Welcome to the Whiskey Stories podcast. For me, tasting the whiskeys, trying the new make, and like having the people at the distillery, like people like you were saying, like Craig, mm. who have been there since the beginning yeah. of time. Mm. Like they have literally, and he's a young guy, he's so keen and he's so interested. And when you see, like I, I get goosebumps talking about yeah. that. Welcome Hi. back to the Whiskey Stories podcast with myself, Craig Kugler, and we are back on air. I have joined with Ross Barr, whiskey underscore Ross on uh, Instagram. I've got Angus Shepherd, Angus a whiskey fan, and we are joined in the Glen Eagles townhouse this evening. A very, very <laughs> celebrious <laughs> surroundings that we have. We've got Megan Murdoch. Megan, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast this evening. Guys, how are we doing? Good, away from home, missing Kev. Um, missing his prices, no offence to him. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to be in the new venue um, and excited for this one. Yeah, we, we really are. We've got some drams in front of us. What have we got, Angus? So we have got a Sauternes Cask Aran. Um, so very nice, quite nice and sweet. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, we've all got the same thing. So yeah, Absolutely, it's unusual um, for us actually, 50%. Non-chill filler, natural colour, good cast, good distillery. And double measures. And but, double measures. But you pay for it. And you pay not for the it. first dram of the evening. It and certainly not. isn't the first <laughs> dram of the evening. No, it's certainly not. Megan, thank you so much for coming on to the Whiskey Stories podcast. It's it's great to have you here. You are Sagasu Drinks. Sagasu Drinks. Sagasu yes. Drinks. We'll come to the name of that as well. But you're also a director at the Glen Wivis Distillery up in um, Dingwall. Dingwall. Dingwall, yes. So, but you're not from Dingwall from the accent. I'm not from Dingwall. I am not, I am from, not far from Dingwall, sort of technically. Technically? Yeah. Right, well, let's get into it then. Yeah. You're a Canadian. I am a Canadian. How did you end up here? That's a really, really long story. Like, (laughs) I think we have to do a little bit more conversation because it could take me quite a long time to get Right. That. So okay, it was a long journey, long it was story. A long journey. <laughs> right. Okay. But well, I mean, you're 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 at Sagasu drinks. But from our conversations that we we're having earlier on this evening, you have said that you've basically worked in the drinks industry almost all of your working life. That's correct. So what is Sagasu drinks? Well, Sagasu drinks was born out of a long history of being in the drinks business, and it actually I used to call my company Wine Sagasu. And it was when I was asked to be a buyer for a new company called The Vintner in London. Okay. And they needed somebody to go out and help them build their portfolio. So I, I was working for another company in um, Surrey, in England. And I started working for these guys. And I thought they were like, I needed a company name. And that's what I chose. But you have got connections and ties to Japan and work that you've done over there as well, haven't you? I have ties to Japan. I lived there in 1996 for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. then I went to university there in 2005. Yeah, so you've, so, and is that where the name kind of originates from? It was my connection to Japan, yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to have something Japanese in there, and because I was looking for wine, it was wine, Sagasu, which obviously... So, so, so what yeah. is Sagasu? Exactly, it's, I was like, right, people yeah. don't know it, what that means. There's a whiskey podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it a place name, or does it mean something? No, it, it means, that, okay, so it is a verb to find. Right. However, um, in Japan, they have like kanji, mm-hmm. like the, yep. the characters, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have more than one word, like 
Sagasu. So I had created my business and then thought I was going to make my business cards. So I did like looked in the dictionary, whatever. Actually, it wasn't even the dictionary. I just did Sagasu on my computer and it pulled up a character and I sent it to the um, to the like business card people. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to get like a friend of mine you know, from Japan, just have a look at this, whatever. And they were like, well, there's actually two kanji that you can use for sagasu. And one is when you're finding good things and others are when, like, and the other kanji is for when you're finding, like, criminals or, like, bad things. So thankfully... So which one did you pick? I know, that's the thing. So I chose, I went back, yeah, and I changed it to the good things. So it's like the wine finder. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Well, Angus, you've got a lot of connections to Japan. Well, not, not, I've notably. been to Japan. More so the main Graham, certainly. You've been there, yeah. So yeah. that straight away, I think 50% mm. of the room is ruled out of that one. But, yeah. you know, the, so, the so Haddington what, House story yeah, yeah. of uh, <laughs> from, from episode one, mm. uh, which we've been trying very hard to source a bottle of, was when you were visiting Japan. That's right, yeah. And you popped into a bar, a hostelry. Absolutely. And yeah. there on the shelf was a bottle of Highland, uh, was Haddington House. Exactly. So I, I, I'm from a place in Harding, called Haddington in Scotland, and the, the story is I was in um, Kanazawa in Japan. Okay. Um, walked into a bar and obviously just straight away saw this bottle Haddington House and, you know, I'd never seen it, you know, in Scotland or anywhere else. And just, you know, jaw drops to the floor. It's like, well, Haddington, why why is this yeah. here? You know, what is this here? It was a bizarre moment. But um, so it was Japan the first destination for you then after leaving Canada? Um, because you, you've obviously, you've worked in Germany, you've worked in France. Um, so, you know, you, you, you know, I understand you started brewing sake in Japan. I um, did, but that was the second round. I mean, Europe was my first Trip oh right, okay. Sorry. Outside of Canada, mm-hmm. I mean, other than the U.S., but mm-hmm. and then, um, yeah. So the first time I went, yeah, it was a, a, a different time and realm. Mm-hmm. And the second time was when I made sake. Mm-hmm. So what, what what was your first time in Japan? Sorry, the first time it, my best friend was over there. So my best friend Kim, who's half mm-hmm. Korean, half Japanese, she was adopted when she was five, brought to Canada, and her and I became best friends, and. Um, she ended up, her Canadian mom said, you know, you should really go out to Japan and, you know, find your roots, blah, blah, blah. So she connected with me and said, look, like, why don't you come out to Japan? And I mm. had no, I had never even thought about Japan, never mm. thought about going to Japan. And this was my very middle 20s-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up out there mm-hmm. with at, her. At this point, you know, we, we like to find out we've had so many different guests on that have had so many different entrances into the wonderful world of whiskey and uh try saying that after a few drams but basically you know we had kev on yeah who didn't get into whiskey mm. who owns an, a, a bar in edinburgh that's got one of the largest whiskey mm. collections in edinburgh they didn't get into whiskey until covid we had jan damon on who you know he he got a job working for the scotch malt whiskey society and he can't remember trying a whiskey no. before he started working yeah, for the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I remember that, the Valentine's. He thought yeah. maybe he'd tried his dad's maybe Valentine's. Ba- yeah, you've got a listener <laughs> yeah. as well. So, so when you're traveling at, at this age in your mid-20s, was whiskey on your radar at this point? In your I life? mean, my dad always drank whiskey, um, but it wasn't something that I was drinking. And randomly, when I was living in Japan, I was working at a bar and not a hostess bar. Just for any of you who know that, um, I was working at a bar and it was with a Korean, an older Korean woman who owned it. And she was actually at my school where I was learning how to speak Japanese. And 
that was where like in these bars you like technically would just kind of share whiskeys and mm. again not a hostess bar but you would share whiskeys you know the hostess bars um you would share whiskeys with people and but i didn't drink whiskey then okay so i said okay well i'll drink beer because right. i drank beer and it was kind of like at, it was one of my friends like the woman who owned the bar her friend yoon she came in and this was a Korean woman. She didn't speak any English. She actually didn't speak any Japanese, but like she was drinking cognac and she said to me, why don't you try some of this cognac? And okay. so cognac was kind of my outside of the really, sorry, Canada, awful like Canadian club stuff that we drank when we were teenagers. So cognac was kind of the first spirit that I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. Yeah. And then afterwards it was like dabbling a little bit of in whiskey, but mainly sticking to beer at that point. Mm-hmm. So that was so that so whilst you were in Japan, so when was the moment in your life in Korea when things kind of swung into the whiskey industry or whiskey? Even just enjoying when you started to really when whiskey was your sort of go-to drink as such. It again, it was probably during my Oddbins years when I was living in England. Okay, and it outside had to, of, outside the Oddbins. <laughs> No, I was working. I was working for Audubon. Right, so just to clarify, yeah, you work yeah, for Audubon. <laughs> but it would have been during that period, and I must have, like, I would have, I honestly can't remember my yeah. first. It would have been with Dad, like, 100%. Yeah. Um, but don't really remember, like, the main part of my whiskey, like, like flood of no. knowledge and everything I did was with Audubon's. So, I mean, it's kind of, sorry, Ross, it's kind of like, it, it's... Like, we've had guests on the show that have a moment where it's like, I can remember the moment I had this. But then we've also got people, probably similar to ourselves a little bit, where when you actually try and reflect back and go, when did I first have a, a, my first whiskey? Or when was the sort of light bulb yeah. moment? I know. You just and I honestly it. can't remember. I mean, like I said, it, mm. it would have been, like, when I was small... I did like, uh, you know, I'd randomly like wander around the living room as a child and like be sipping dad's like whiskey yeah. or beer or whatever it was. <laughs> but I don't remember. It must have been Japan to be fair, yeah, but yeah, I don't. Yeah. It wasn't like an epiphany. Yeah. I had some whiskey epiphanies, but not that wasn't then. Is Japan the place that you started working in drinks, whether it be wine, whether it be brewing, distilling, or was it? No. No. No, I, I mean, Japan, <clears throat> I did some very interesting things. I did work at bars mm. in Japan. Um, I was, yeah, teaching English like everybody does. Mm-hmm. I actually was in a soap opera in Japan. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. A soap you know, opera? As you do. You're yeah. our first soap opera on there the show. Go, Congratulations. Well done. A talking part? Or? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. It, yeah, it was quite funny because the, the soap opera obviously was in Japanese. Mm. And my friend, well, we used to call him Ebby, um, Adrian, he and I got called in to do this. And, of course, like, our part was in English. We were, it was in the 1960s. We were dressed up in like tie dyed stuff. It was hilarious. It was the most random thing, but they specifically said, like, the director was like, okay, well, you know, you're a Western woman. We need you to be like, you know, for, that was the kind of the image of right. Western women, like forceful. Blah. And, um, but yeah, that there was my go. East Asian Enders. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah, but I mean, so, right. You've, you've got into the world of spirits and wine is basically that kind of environment industry. Yeah. Um, what was the first kind of job outside of bar work that you had when you were actually in the spirits industry then? Or- that was when, it, I guess it had to have been 
Oddbins. Like right, doing, yeah. So, I mean, at Oddbins, obviously, we did everything. So, who are, who, oh, sorry, who are Oddbins? What was the, what's the situation? Like, what was the situation oh, there? Oddbins, really? Oddbins. Everybody knows Oddbins. <laughs> <laughs> so, Oddbins was um, a really eclectic, really interesting wine slash spirit slash beer merchant in England. Right. Um, I mean, it started in like the 60s. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, it's gone. It went through a couple of. Sadly, it's really like just very recently died its third death. I think. Well, I mean that's the thing from from our perspective. Odd yeah. bins for us was just like the drink, the booze shop. Yeah, yeah. There was a booze Growing shop up, on the high street. Yeah, yeah. Your mum went odd bins for yeah. the wine and stuff like that. But that was basically it. So they had, you know, they. I take it they were quite renowned for their collections of different of things. everything. Right. Like it was. I mean, I literally. I used to be able to buy Ardbeg Lord of the Isles for like 24 pounds there. Right, so they were quite, And yeah. um, like everything, like serendipity, we had, th- and there's a couple of stories that I'll tell later mm. um, about odd bins and the stuff, but I learned boatloads working for that yeah. company. Yeah. I think I think historically known for being a better wine retailer as well. Right. I think, yeah. you know, if you weren't buying your wine in the supermarket, you were going to odd bins because right. it was on most high streets, etc. Et I think it was wine in the supermarket yeah. that really killed odd bins. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I imagine yeah. so. I imagine people making their wine shelves twice as big as what killed that kind of specialist retailer. Um, so going from odd bins, you're meeting people in the industry, whether it be wine, whether it be whiskey. I know you end up, you know, in Speyside, and you obviously now you're with Glenn Wivis. How did getting in behind the scenes of these kind of companies and uh, production and etc. pique your interest? Because a lot to a lot of people, that's not an attractive side of the business. Well, that's yeah. I went the. I, I mean, I started in the front end of all of these industries. So, in the front end of spirits and like buying, selling, um, tasting, whatever the hosting stuff. Um, and then ended up in my first foray was as a winemaker. So I went into the production of winemaking because I had done everything else in wine. And that's, you know, I did my degree at Plumpton and then did was a flying winemaker for a few years. And I made one in Germany. Um, I was in the Mosul at a place called Staffelterhof, which was an amazing place, which I'm still like fully connected to these people today and made wines in Provence and yeah. That must have been an amazing experience to start making wine. It was. It's not not something you think about even when you are traveling the world to go from maybe piquing an interest and trying some stuff you hadn't had before in somewhere like Oddbins to making wine. And traveling and doing it. And traveling and doing it. I suppose traveling wasn't something that you were afraid of. It was the... No, no, not so much. Yeah. But I mean, I just, yeah. Um, For me, it was just always wanting to learn more things get into it like if i've done all this side of it then let's go on and like learn the production side and then it then as a winemaker in germany i then slithered over into beer i blagged my way into a brewery saying like i've been a winemaker i mean nothing i had nothing to do with beer except for drinking it and like buying it Mm. and then i blagged my way into this brewery um from the winemaking industry and then i did a stint in brewing and then from there i was asked to come and run the london distillery in bermondsey not the city of london and not the east london liquor company it was the london distillery and then yeah that's where distilling came into all of it and was that then at what point was the sake part of it that we're really interested we're, interested. Yeah. In we're never going to meet somebody sake. before that has made sake in japan mm. so, so 
Yeah, I went to university. I went to Doshi Sadaigaku, which is in Kyoto, which is a, quite a yep. well-known university out there, and I love telling people I went there. Um, but when I was there, there were two sites where you could dorm as a student, and one was in like Kyoto proper, and one was in a place called Mukajima. So I got put in Mukajima, which in some ways was really good, and I have some other really interesting stories about that, but that was kind of like the place where, you know, lots of sake places were very close by, and I had been reading um, John Gaunter's sake book. I read it on the plane when I came out, and I was like, okay, that's it. I'm going off, and I'm going to learn everything there's about sake. And so I was visiting this wine bar, in uh, Fushimu Momoyama, which is this little town that was not far from where I was living. And they said, I said, look, I'm super interested in sake, really want to get into it. Can you help me? And they introduced me to the, um, uh, oh, I can't remember what it's called now. Not the shacho, but um, the person in charge at the sake mm-hmm. brewery. So I went there and they let me come and work there. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, totally I, I random. for, you know, you know, a lot of these sake brewers are kind of institutions. So to allow I know. a foreigner to come and work. And, and a woman. See, and a woman and as I, well. And, I think that, that, and, and presumably this was in Kyoto Prefecture then. It's yep. within the Kyoto yep. area. And so how, how long did you work for the I did a season, there? like a full like a full, brewing season with them. A full year, them? so like from... Not a year, because it, it, like it starts throughout the winter, basically. Yeah, it's throughout yeah. the winter, because it's a very seasonal thing. It's 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 like a kind of, they start in the winter, and then I get, you take about nine months to make sake, isn't it? The whole run, is it about that? Or? I'd have to go back. Like, this is yeah. like now 2005, and, mm. I, and I just very recently did, because um, I had made a, a PowerPoint presentation because I was going to university at the mm. time, made a PowerPoint presentation of like mm. the whole, like how to make yeah. sake kind of thing in mm. Japanese. And I presented that. And I like for like the last, whatever, how many years is that now since? That's like 10, eight, eight, eight years. years, eight. 2005. Oh, wow, gosh. Take a year to study maths at university. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just that I forget how long, how long ago That's that was. job well <laughs> Most people mm. well at uni work in a nightclub or yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, but I had I had a I did have a job working like I got a job working at a gym at right walking distance from where I was staying. And it was my first day and I went in there and I was so excited because this is Mukajima. Nobody speaks English in Mukajima. Yeah. It was like, mm-hmm. my Japanese is going to get so good. This is amazing. And I was like, you know, basically meant to go work in the gym for a bit. And then I meant was meant to go and work at the, the pool side. So my the person that was sort of mentoring me through, we sat in the gym, did our thing there. And I was so excited. And then she's like, okay, it's time for you to go to the pool. And I get into my bathing suit and she like was like, oh. <gasps> Yeah, you didn't shower. No. <laughs> She's like, Irezumi, which means tattoo. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Of course. But again, like I had lived in Japan already and I'd gone to pools and nobody cared because I was a foreigner. But it was Mukajima, which is basically like the home of the Yakuza, uh, which is the whole tattoo. Anyway, so I got sacked that night. Really? <laughs> I mean, the reason I say you didn't shower is one of the only interesting cultural facts I know about the Japanese is that 
they shower before they go in the bath and they yeah. shower after and they shower after yeah yeah oh uh, no totally yeah absolutely yeah. but yeah. which makes complete sense but nothing to do with whiskey but anyways back to whiskey but uh, right so i mean when you're working in all these different environments so right now you're talking about sitting here with us mm. you've pretty much been involved through other endeavors as well and pretty much the, the production of all the big and some sort of mm. smaller known uh, spirits, haven't you? You know, you're, 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 when you think about it, if you're, you're going sake and then you're looking at even like wine and beer, yep. you spend some time. Cider as well. I made cider. rum too once. Yeah. You, you spend some time at another distillery up in, up in Speyside making other spirits as well. And it's... Yeah, made gin, made vodka. Yeah. And now you find yourself as a director of a whiskey distillery. A new whiskey distillery. A new whiskey we're distillery. we're all very excited about. Yes. You've um, got the keys to the candy store. Yeah, I know. This is like, <laughs> this is it. Like my whole life, my dad and I were like whiskey fans and I used to buy him whiskey, like bottles of whiskey every year. He passed away in like 2009. Right. Um, right. He would literally shit himself <laughs> if he knew what I was doing and the fact that I live in the heart. And so was he, a whiskey? Had, he was a whiskey drinker then? Oh, he was so into whiskey. Scotch. And very much. Oh, and very like, oh, we're Murdoch's, Megan, we're Murdoch's, we're strong, yeah. we can do anything. So, um, but the, yeah, it's, it's. But, do you, do you see whiskey as an endpoint then, or is it more just, you know, another notch in the ladder? So another rung on the ladder. There's things after whiskey that might for me right you, now because or is whiskey just the world you're in right now? And that's there's so much to learn though. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. I sat with the guys at Baird's Malts today, and I mean, there's literally like you. I say this when I because I teach WCT as mm, well, Wine and mm. Spirit Education Trust, and. I said to the guys, I say to them, like, you can do a PhD in the conversion of malts. Like, mm. there's all these sections of all these parts of the, like, you can do mm. a total PhD in yeah. these sections. And and for me now, like, that I finally made it to the whiskey side of things. Yeah. I mean, learning about, mm. like, oak and all of this stuff. Like, there's just so much to learn. Like, I could literally spend the next, like, 25 years. But was it always an ambition to go into whiskey? So even years ago when you were working in the wine industry always. or whatever, it even was always, always. Whiskey was, whiskey was always something you It was always whiskey, and I just to. kept, like, because when I found the distillery up in Speyside, I was like, oh, yes, but then they were not whiskey. Mm. Um, we made whiskey at the London distillery, but yeah. I wasn't producing it. It was um, a guy named Andrew Smith and was making at the time and but I had involvement in going and like sampling the casks and you know but I was always into whiskey always drank whiskey I spend like so much of my life hanging out at Milroy's in London yeah, and, like yeah, yeah. like Dram and like all these places the Soho Whiskey Club and like yeah so what kind of whiskeys did you grow up with in the house then if you can remember back you're saying that your dad being a big was it scotch whiskey was it canadian whiskey was it no Mexican? no canadian was was not canadian whiskey <laughs> um I'm not a I don't even want to get there. But anyways, yeah, no. The one whiskey that I remember, like, Dad was always drinking was Lagavulin. Lagavulin it's a big, right. can, it's a huge brand in Canada. Mm. And every time, I, like, a Canadian comes to, to Scotland and you're in the Highlander oh. and you're hanging out and they're like, can I get a Lagavulin, please? Really? And it's like, oh, okay, yeah. Because, I mean, Hiram Walker was a, was a Canadian, a huge Canadian company that yeah. owns so much, including Ballantines at one point. Yeah. Well, well, Johnny Walker Red, but I just, from Dad specifically, Dad was very much like a Vulin. Yeah. Um, Johnny Walker Red's humongous in Canada as well. Yeah. But even like Hiram Walker, the the, yeah. the company brand, they, yeah. they they bought Ballantines for some time. They had Ballantines. I mean, but go, I mean, the whiskey connection, I mean, did you, did you see much or did you, were you focused in on 
the whiskey scene in Japan, which is huge in itself, or did it something that you weren't paying attention to at the time because you you know if you went back now you'd be looking at um, Japanese whiskey and being like wow look at this presumably look at this. it hadn't kicked off yet either it was 2013 that it all went absolutely crazy in a global yeah. sense mm. no um, I mean obviously we had the whiskey like mm, at these yeah. bars like we had the whiskey there but I wasn't drinking at the time no, no. so I wasn't really mm. focused on it definitely like I live up in Speyside so I my local is the Highlander yeah. which is like the that, yeah. best yeah. place yeah. I heard you guys talk about it when yeah. you were doing the Yam podcast you're the only person that orders in Japanese in the Highlander <laughs> <laughs> and you I could speak, and no. you could yeah. I speak more Japanese in Speyside than I have well Paris and Speyside are the two places I spoke really? more Japanese outside of Japan and maybe Victoria and Canada but yeah so yeah so you're up in Speyside now uh, so you Glenn with us, right? Like, but that's not a space side distillery. No, that's, it is not. That's in Dingwall, up that's in, right. the that's in the Highlands of Scotland. But not. It's funny when you when you're in the central belt of Scotland. For anybody who's listening that maybe doesn't know the, the geography, people see Inverness as the Highlands in that area, but anything right. beyond Inverness is is really far north. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the real Highlands. So when you went until you venture, and, and, and it's great to do yeah. if you've done if you a lot of tourists like to come up to Scotland and do the NC five hundred, the North Coast five hundred. Yeah, which is the five hundred miles of literally driving it's, around the Highlands, yeah, like Scotland. a circular route around the very the, very the north. Very of north. So when you're when you're in Edinburgh, you think you're up north when you're in Inverness. But then wait till you try and go further. And once you cross the Keswick Bridge in uh, in Inverness and start heading towards, you know, you've got Dingwall, you've got oh, the Black yeah. Isle, and then you go all the way up. But I was up, I was up last week. I think it was last week. I was up visiting you up in the Glen Wyvis Distillery. Yep. Uh, it's a new distillery. What brought you on? The, like, how did you guys come into partnership? How did you end up becoming a director? When when did it flash up on your radar? What was the sort of story behind that? I've known the Glen Wivis story since almost the inception and I was in contact with them. It was mainly because somebody had said that I was using this particular um, stock system and so they contacted me. So I kind of became buddies with the chairman at the time and then we kept in touch the entire time. So I knew the distiller there who was Duncan Tate and then the young guy that was um, working there as well, Josh. So we, yeah. I just kept, I basically kept in touch with them forever. And then it was probably in June, maybe May, June, mm-hmm. when there was talk of, yeah. Your involvement there. Which, yeah. Now, it's, it's funny when you go up and you think about a new distillery and it just shows you like when you actually put it in the scale. Glenn Withis Distillery has been a working distillery for about nine years. About nine years now, or even is it? No, they just celebrated. I think six years now. Six yeah. years. So yeah. yeah, but still, I mean, when you think of a new distillery, you think they've maybe just opened up recently. Are you sure? Because you thought two thousand five was only a few years ago. No, hundred percent six years old. Yeah. But obviously, like the oldest whiskey that they have right now is a five year old. Five. Okay, so if they've got a five year old release, then yeah. Yeah. That, that's almost established now. Yeah, well, there's, this lot, is it, lot, but I mean, there's like, so many new distilleries in the last 20 years where we've tried their whiskey, which has been brilliant at three years old. Maybe, I suppose you can touch on the liquid and talk about a young spirit and old spirit, but new distilleries is something that we've all been talking about the last yeah. last few years anyway. Mm. Um, but, but what, what well, sorry, Russ. No, you go. What, what makes Glenn Wivis unique and different? Because I know. There's like a lot of a background story in terms of like how it came about and what how it is and what the it's not owned by. Am I right in saying it's a community? 
It's a community benefit society. Right. So it is owned by a number of shareholders and like the shareholders when they give like when they came into it it's not it's not necessarily like an investment like a return on investment it's like you're giving the to the community so every year they have a certain amount of money that they give back so the distillery gives back into into the local community there so this year it was like twenty thousand pounds i think that they put so they have like i think three or four separate applications of what you know whatever, whether it's an environmental yeah. like scholarship, I guess you could call it, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, and they just, people apply for it and they're chosen based on their need. But I, I mean, that's, that's, that's a very unique situation when you look at it. I mean, a lot of these distilleries, you look around, you're in Speyside yourself, Megan, and you'll see some of the big names of the big distilleries that are out there. Some of them are privately owned and some of them are public limited companies, some of them are part of massive corporations. Now, of course, it's up to whoever owns and runs these companies. They can do what they want with these companies, but there can't be many that can give back to the community that they're part of, which makes Glen Wivis quite a unique distillery in that, just a unique business in, in that yeah. sense as well, the fact that it's... And, and I think I'd imagine, like, when you live locally to a, a distillery you'll have your own personal connections and ties to it. So you'll feel part of a sort of whiskey community. Yeah. So the fact that the, the distillery can give back to that whiskey community is, is even better, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a distillery I know almost nothing about. So it's one of those things that that's why we're really glad to have you on because I would like to just ask, tell me about Glen Wivis. What is the story? What's was Has it been planned for years and years and years? Is there... Was this a kind of passion project? What's the plan with the whiskey, et cetera, et cetera? Because it is such a competitive market for new distilleries right now. And I've, I've got some some distilleries that started in the last 10 years that I would now... You know, King, King's Barnes is the example I'll give. Um, I just met a guy called James King's Barnes um, very recently um, and tried some cast samples from them. And great whiskey. Yeah. And it's about eight years old now. But mm. also... Their dream to dram at three and a half years old was great whiskey yeah. and it was reasonably priced and it was a good market and it looked good and it looked different. Again, it was Fife and that's a very exciting scene with Daft Mill and such and there's lots of different strategies. Everybody loves Daft Mill because they can never get a bottle yeah. and so that's why it's nice to try it. And then King's Barnes was so accessible that that's why we liked it when I, my time at Scotch because it was a new lowland whiskey. Any tourist coming to Scotland could go and visit it if they're staying on the Central Belt. Um, and so it was brilliant. But in terms of new Highland distilleries, there's much less of them. And Torreveg's going to have a lot of success on Sky, but it's not easy I to do get love to Torreveg. Sky. Yeah, I just, love <laughs> just as well as I mean, you can get up to Inverness, and Dingwall's not far, I suppose. But is is the is the distillery open? Can you go for tours? Is it just? So it's a, but have you tried Glenwivis? I've had it a couple of festivals. So it's not okay. open. No, it's not. It's not open for tours. It's just a. No, a it's like distillery. it's a really, really. It's actually super tiny. Yeah, yeah like it's got a super small. tiny. Um, but and what have you tried so far from Glenovis? Uh, it's all been. It's all had uh, years on it. So it's like a twenty eighteen year, twenty nineteen. That we had, it, I think. At Edinburgh Whiskey Festival. Yeah, Edinburgh, 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 Edinburgh Whiskey Festival. Festival which, um, which, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, we've all had it. We've yeah. all had Glen Wivis. Yeah, from um, my employer just now, we, we were co co organisers and sponsored the Edinburgh Whiskey Festival, and Glen Wivis was there. And I think when people go to those festivals, they want to try something that they've not had before. Well, it's also, I mean, you look, there's a lot of 
there's a lot of in the when you're when you're surround yourself with and it's interesting because like we always say Angus is mm. you and I are the whiskey drinkers and fans. Yes. Whereas fifty percent of the room work in the industry and fifty percent of the room don't work in the industry. Yeah. Reap the benefits and rewards from the industry as such. But you know, there's something quite nice about being that kind of guy it's like oh you've not tried the new Glen Wivis I was actually I tried the 2018 uh, whilst I was at the Edinburgh Whiskey Festival and there is something nice about being able to say like I was I've tried that you know yeah. and you, I've, I've had a drama to that and mm-hmm. because it's a new and upcoming distillery you, you know there's you get that with music folks and yeah, oh, yeah. I like their early stuff I didn't like their, <laughs> I didn't yeah. like their later releases but it's, it's the yeah. same way you can yeah. say yeah. Like, you were still there for the and, first and, time and, and I remember saying right? to you as well Greg I went up to Isle of Harris a couple of years ago um, and it was we, we went to the distillery there, and I tried the new make spirit, and it was a you know this is obviously about a year and a half yeah. before Nahira came out, and it was a case of oh I've actually had a taste of that. I know you know what yeah. sort of things we might be able to expect you tried there. The new so make before the spirit, yeah. There's a real excitement when you distilleries as well, especially yeah. before they've released. But there's a lot of the way. This is I mean it mm. must be you know there's you've mentioned you know i'm from fife and i was you know as i mentioned earlier on that kind of i'm really proud of the whiskey scene that's starting to emerge in fife right now really really proud of it and that's not based on anything other than the fact that i'm from there and i'm able to say like you know lindor's abbey daft mill eden mill excuse me king's barns and starney is that fife as well and uh, yes and starney yes so suddenly you're looking at these this you know and then you're looking at you're full Fife, well, there's there's actually a lot of chat about trying to be a recognised region. Yeah, gonna there's, a bit of, there's a bit there's a bit people want, and I don't know whether you buy into that kind of stuff, but but like a Fifean region. Well, yeah, but and the other <laughs> the, the the Fife region, the kingdom, uh, but but basically yeah. the kingdom, the kingdom of Fife. But the thing about it is as well, it's not just that. Is when you look at you know, uh, Diageo are based in Fife. Their largest storage yeah, facility. Course, yeah. You've also got so many, so many more bonded warehouses opening up where whiskey is being mm, stored. Lots in Fife. of those opening up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you've got this you've got whiskey investment SWI. Yeah. They're opening up in Fife. You've got a brand new distillery that's getting built at Eden Mill that there's going to be open in St Andrews next year, 20, yeah. 2024. So there's so much happening there, so much whiskey there, and you're like, it's it's a it's a it's a real buzz around the place. But, but it's a competitive market. But it's new, yeah. and every distillery is new. And you're looking at that and going, like, first of all, you know, six years you've got to start before, you know, three years when you start producing before you can even have mm-hmm. whiskey, you know, three years in a day and all that kind of stuff. The, the running costs, the staffing, everything that you've got to do, and you've not even got a product out yet. How challenging has that been? Because I've met the guys that work there. Craig, I think is uh, Craig there. Yeah, uh, Craig. I mean, he was. He, he, you can tell the passion. He worked. It was at Inverness Whiskey Shop, I think it was. Um, okay. Yeah, he's uh, been there. He's been there from the very start. Yeah, very, and very you can beginning. just feel the passion from him over what you're doing up there. So, how can you get that? Put it in a bottle. Yeah. And get it in front of people. And from all these new distilleries, why should we all be trying Glen Wivers? Well, like again, I think it's always about. It's kind of like the connections with people that you make, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been in the industry for a very long time, and I do, like, I have never worked for a company that I didn't really, absolutely love the product. Mm. Like, I would never do it. 
I've, yeah, I, I've never, ever done that. So with things like, I mean, I have actually brought some of the new make to Well, I was just about to say, yeah. I mean, you are the, I've joked about it on the show for the last seven episodes. Anybody who's been on the show and listening back to this, hang your heads in shame. (laughs) It's taken till episode eight for a guest to actually bring in some proper samples, some real whiskey. And we have some Glen Glen Wivis whiskey. We've got new make in front of us. Mm -hmm. And we've also got samples. Are they the are they drawn those two samples? I am not. I can't. This, this is a secret secret sample. It's a secret. But are they drawn from the same cast or are they two separate? I casts? am not saying anything. Right. Like, okay. I'm, right. This isn't even necessarily <laughs> Glenn with us. This, when, is, when, this could be anything. It's brown this liquid. Could be something, <laughs> but, this could be something else. But the beauty of this mm. is, uh, it makes me really, really mm. excited when you're mm. a whiskey fan. And, and it's I, when you see yeah. unmarked bottles yeah. that aren't got a set specific l- level in them where you know. Mm. She's given it out to people she likes so far. Their samples. And that, that's the kind of. I, but, I, I think it's. Uh, mm. It's it's interesting. Obviously, we've been in bars so far. I will I will shout out to Colin because Colin actually did bring in someone for us to try after the oh, podcast. He did, he did, to be I fair, to Colin, yeah. but also because most uh, landlords would tell us off for drinking whiskey. The fortunate thing is we've got a private room here in Glen yeah, Eagles. Mm-hmm. What can I say? The whiskey stories podcast is going places. That's <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I guess another way of asking what kind of Graham and Ross, or to expand on what Graham and Ross were asking, is, is what excites you about. I just love like 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 Graham was saying. I mean, because I know. So I've taken the new make of this Mm. and given it to some people in the industry who. There's a bit of a story behind it, but I won't get into it. But essentially, taken the new make, given it to people, and they were absolutely blown away by it. Right. And again, for me, tasting the whiskeys, trying the new make. And like having the people at the distillery, like people like you were saying, like Craig, mm. who have been there since the beginning yeah. of time. Mm. Like they have literally, st- and he's a young guy, but he's so keen and he's so interested. And when you see, like, I, I get goosebumps talking about that. Yeah. Like having that kind of passion. Yeah, you, can't, you can't help but feel it when you go in there. Yeah, I guess as well. You're, you know, you're a director of. Um, Glen Wivis, so you're not necessarily there on a day to day basis, but. What, well, I am more you now, are more yeah. Now. So I've been so, brought in so, in a slightly yeah. So what, what does your role really entail there, and what are you, what are you doing on a day to day basis at the distillery, and you know what 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 capacity are you working there really is? So I I, like I became a director in June, mm-hmm. and then because I mean there's a number of different types of directors, mm. um, most of whom are not in the industry, mm. um, but because of my connection to the industry and, and what I can do, they've asked me to come in and just to help mm. out a little bit more. So I spend like a couple, I mean, I've, I've spent a week there last week, but I'm there a minimum of two days a week and in touch like every day. It's just helping them mm. just steer them in a, in a slightly different direction, yeah. You know, just be there because, again, most of the, like, they're all quite young at the distillery. Yeah, like, so very so I, I guess almost, the, sorry. No, that's fine. Carry on. But almost, to, to put in the football analogy, you're almost like the director of football. Um, just you're the director of whiskey. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, when you go up there, if you can get up there, you're going to think if you remember. Oh, that, my God. It was yeah, a very, tell that story. very <laughs> frosty uh, Frosty morning, shall we say, and I'd been staying in a hotel in uh, in Dingwall, and Megan picked me up to get up there. You picked me up at eight o'clockish or something. Yeah. 
and um, it would be minus whatever temperatures up in the highlands as you can imagine and I had no idea that there's about this mile road with a gradual then steady incline all the way up and I think we made it a quarter of the way up before your car wheels. It was an ice rink. It was a complete, the road was, was a complete ice rink. And to give you some context about how bad the road was, eventually, after about 25 minutes of everybody trying to push your car and move it, we just couldn't move it, um, the, the grit lorry came, we could see the grit lorry at the bottom of the road, like, oh, the grit lorry's coming. The grit lorry tried to get up, and it skidded back down. So, the, <laughs> and a fair play, because it's, not a, it's yeah. not a main road, it's a small country road. The driver of the grit lorry... And it's good thinking as well. He reversed the lorry up the hill so the grit was coming out first <laughs> so before gave his tires traction to get <laughs> up there. Mental. And that poor guy reversed that lorry for about easily about a mile, maybe a mile and a half, round corners and everything. And we were we were right behind him, um, staring at the driver in the face, sort of like driving car that got up there. But I mean, you can't visit the distillery, obviously. But when you, I was fortunate enough to go up there and and see see the guys and and meet people there and. Is a very, you, you realise then how small everything actually is. But at the same time, the passion's there. And I, I was speaking to, to the guys when up, up there, the people up there, and it's interesting because you look at whiskey and you say to yourself, you're, you're in the alcohol beverage industry, but actually you're in the creative industry. Absolutely. Like you're able to create something. We spoke to Greg Urquhart from Glenmore Spirits a couple, a couple of episodes ago. And you're asking him as a sort of guy that manages the casks and he's in charge of blending. He's in charge of about 14 brands. I yeah, mean. but he, but, but, but Greg said, and one of the things that stuck me is like, we create a flavour. Yeah. You know, and what we're able to do is go, right, what flavour do we want? And then we get to pick the casks out to go, give me a bit of that, give me a bit of that, mix it all together and see what that tastes yeah. like. That's what you're doing. And that, that that's more than just working in the alcohol industry. You're, you're working, that, you've got to be creative mm. for that. And the other side of it is then, you know, I have over 140 odd distilleries in Scotland at the moment. How many of them are brand new distilleries? How do you get your, because you've, if you've got the liquid in front of you and you can do, say, the liquid, is it just a case of the liquid does the talking for us? Or are you looking to say, we need to get ourselves out there, we need to get people to see us and have a, have a bit more marketing involved in it as well? Well, I think it's, it's always, the liquid It's obviously very, very important, but for me in the industry, it is the connections and the people. So if you can go out there and be who you are and, you know, if, if I'm saying that this is actually, like, this is a good whiskey, 100%, like, would never be doing this if it wasn't. And then people will be like, yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'll be interested in that because you've made these connections, you've made these, these friends in the industry who, who trust you basically mm, like mm. it's a trust thing yeah, for people and whiskey this is a small industry it's a very small industry but what i have heard is one of the best ways to get your brand recognized is to sponsor a whiskey podcast <laughs> 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 yeah. sorry we're a community benefit society <laughs> you're actually directly taking out the pocket yeah. 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 Ah, come on yeah. folks i think we've all had enough but Give i think us you should <laughs> i know people like hey, you should talk to bears malts they should be they could probably uh, be I'm gonna listen because we've tried we said glenfiddich about 200 times on yeah. the hazy drams episode and we, I, I got a message recently from tim walker who's um 
great guys in charge of luxury um, accounts for William Grant's right. saying I can't believe they've not sponsored me for that first episode because of how much I was talking about William Grant's oh, like, well, now that you mention it yeah, well. yeah, yeah, if you're listening but you like what you like <laughs> I, I, I wanted to pick up on something actually Ross had mentioned was you know he, he kind of said what's What's the plan for the whiskey? I mean, is is it something like you're you know are you aiming for those kind of big age statements like a twelve year old or a ten year old or a fifteen year old? Because at the moment you've been releasing whiskey kind of year on year. Is that something you're looking to continue, or is there is there a goal you're looking to reach with that, or is it no comment? No comment. <laughs> no, there's. Well, I you mean, have to ask the question. There's, there again, because it's a small independent yeah. distillery. Yeah. We can do anything we want. Right. So there's there's lots of things that are happening in the background. And is there I, is there experimentation? There will. Yep. There's something happening tomorrow. Actually, that will a partial experimental thing. But well, that must be the fun part. I mean, I mean I, and, and is that in, well? Is that in terms of different casks or different maybe. ways? Maybe. So th- this is this is often one of these things that I think a, a lot of brands will start with a brand strat- strategy, particularly new distilleries, and say if you're somebody like Kilholman and you've got your Macabre and your Sanig doing so well, they all of a sudden, and they perhaps already thought it, but certainly from a consumer's point of view, they must have thought after eight years, why are we going to do a 10-year-old? It's already mm, so yeah. successful and so popular yeah. as a young, actually, as a young yeah, product. Yeah, yeah. And so they've just released a 16-year-old, I believe. I know, actually, I was going to try and see if I get my hands on but, one of them, actually. But I think... <laughs> Oh, wow, yeah. Where's my, yeah. But I've seen a video today from, from mm. Kilhoman. It's 18 years from today from when we're recording this that they filled the first cask. Yeah, right. Um, what? 18 years from today? Yeah. Oh, no, because I did the Orbeg Half Marathon. Mm. It was 2006, so they were still on, yeah, new make at that point. Yeah, mm. no. I mean, that, that, that's well. it must be such a fascinating we've talked about this before on the podcast with other guests when you're you know when you're making decisions and you're making big decisions sometimes when it's production levels and stuff like that you're not going to see the benefits or you're not you're you're really the strategies that have to be in place when you're working whiskey must be so unique in the sense that you're potentially what? making decisions that you're not going to be accountable for. Exactly. It's like the Gordon McPhail situation. Gordon McPhail situation was they announced earlier on this year that Gordon McPhail, one of the sort of oldest, tradi- most traditional independent bottlers, yeah, 1895, family 1895, owned. family owned, and they've made a decision. Somebody in that family's made a decision in the business that they're going to stop now. Everybody stop buying casks. Well, this is yeah. the thing. So everybody suddenly went, <gasps> but then, I mean, how they've much? Got, they've got, well, I, I, I mean, I don't know the exact number, but I'm 24. They've got enough whiskey to bottle for the rest of my lifetime. Yeah. Um, they, pro- they probably have at least 70 years worth of product currently in storage. I mean, they've got whiskeys in, in storage that are over oh, 70 years old, over 80 years old. And so it's one of those things that, yeah, it's hard to tell with a new business because you look back at Gordon McPhail buying whiskies from the 1940s, speaking to Stephen Rankin recently, who's trying to buy whiskey from every year from after the war. Um, and there was a couple of years, maybe 1943, I think he was maybe missing or something. But well, yeah. 1943 was when... 
production was down to just maybe one or two distilleries yeah, in yeah, Scotland. So the, so. From, the late, <laughs> from the late 1930s, yeah. I, think, I think Linkwood, Glenlivet, yeah. Glengrant, Strathisle, perhaps Mortlock. There's four, three or four distilleries in, in Speyside that were allowed to continue production. Yeah, they were only... And, were, and G&M yeah. were the people that have the casks. And that's yeah, yeah, I mean, that's so, so they, they, but, but yet, when the news broke, I think, myself included, everyone kind of sat up and went, oh my God. Does that mean no more Gordon no McPhail? No more Gordon McPhail, but like but you just said, it's, yeah. like, it's going to carry no, on. Not in our lifetime. But... Somebody I hope not, because Gordon McPhail are one of my top customers for WSET courses. Well, but, 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 but <laughs> well, somebody distilleries now, yeah. so I'm sure you're still getting plenty of business for that. But someone signed off on that. Like mm. this yeah. is the thing, and, and that, that's it. It's like somebody in in the annals of history, someone will in 70, 80, 100 years time will be like, "That's the best decision this company's ever made." Or, yeah. or the God, worst who decision. was thinking? It, what, who was thinking about that? Went, went back all the way back then in the two, in two, 2023. But when you're when you're creating whiskey, and you're when you're looking at production and you're looking at putting casks aside for storage and you're wondering what, or even experimenting with as casks. a small distillery as well you, you, it's so comp the whole thing is so complex yeah. like and this is new to me because this is not like again i know i've been studying it you know i've done my ibd i've done so much study on the concept but this is the first time that i've been thrown into the realms of yeah. like Figuring the whole years of production. We, yeah. we just sat down the other day and we did a com complete year of production. So you're looking at that. So then it's the timings and then you have to have the casks in for that. And then it's just... It's, it's so the beautiful confusion of whiskey is if, if Megan's planning for the Glenlivis, having Glenlivis have a 25-year-old, you've got no idea what that's going to taste like. <laughs> well, no, you can, but you can try to, I won't have any idea. You can have, you have, have dead by then. You can have similar spirits and use similar casks and say, okay, well, this is maybe the kind of thing we can aim for. But the reality is, as we've said before, no two casks are the same. No. And, and so, exactly. But, but you do a cask ownership yeah. scheme as well, don't you? As You're, in, like, you, you, people we sell can casks. Sell yeah. Cas yeah. So, so yeah. people listening to this, if you want to own a cask of whiskey... Like, Give me a like, call. like the uh, Whiskey Stories <laughs> podcast are about to. Hey, Megan. Hey, Megan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, so, I mean, that is a way that you see. I've done it myself with Lindor's Abbey. It's a way that you can see that in that time where production isn't being, you're not putting, being able to put things on shop shelves and things like that, mm. a way of being able to recuperate some of that yeah. money, yeah. other than going to private investors, is a way where you can say, well, why don't you want? Why don't you own one of the casks? But it's an amazing thing to own yeah. a cask, mm. right? And and even like it doesn't matter even what happens to the distillery because either way, like this is going to be something that is going so, to you're going to benefit it's a piece from of history, I suppose, yeah. as well. Yeah. With um, cask ownership for Glenwivis, if somebody buys a cask, will that be bottled by you? Are they? Can they do what they want with it? Is it stored? with you guys it's stored so insurance is included storage up to 10 years if i'm not mistaken <laughs> and um bottling is the discussion is that the bottling would we would arrange the bottling because it yeah. is something that is really really popular just now and it kind of ties into gordon mcphail a lot of people buying casks at the moment and it's a very trendy thing to do but a lot of people are thinking okay what am I the fourth person to own this cask? Yeah. All these brokers and such that are going about and you've got yeah. like loads of stuff will happen with, um, down in London and such at the moment. But if you are the third person to purchase that one cask, you're, you're paying the third price, everybody's taking oh, a cut. If you can go directly to a new distillery, exactly. it's then feeding back into the community, etc., etc. you're probably getting a more honest value there as well. What we're looking at, what, if, I, if, 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 if Angus wants to buy his fiancée, 
Glenn Willis <laughs> cask of whiskey. Is that, is that a kind of range that you go from for different? Yeah, I mean it depends on the it depends on the cask, obviously. Yeah. So obviously um, box, yeah. Yeah. But currently we have first fill bourbon, yeah, um, which are available yeah. at three seven five zero. That's a bargain, I guess. So it's a bargain. Yeah, Laura total bargain. Laura would absolutely love yeah. that. She really would. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's probably priority number one for you. Uh, yeah. Three, what's that? Three, three, seven, five, oh. So three thousand seven hundred and fifty. Yeah. yeah, first fill bourbon. There you go. Very that's, hard to get your hands on these that, days. That's what four episodes that we have to pay for the whiskey <laughs> story <laughs> podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 and that store. But the thing is, like, mm. when you look at it, Ross, and it's like when when the the when I bought the Lindor's Abbey uh, cask, which is hopefully ready for bottling actually in the next mm-hmm. in 2024 i'm hopefully trying to get some bottles out of that but it was more down it wasn't about an investment it wasn't about the idea of becoming yeah. an independent bottler what happened was it transpired that the lindor's abbey farm was the next door farm to the farm that my grandmother grew up on nice. so instantly you've got a connection there it's a new distillery with lots and lots of plans, with a history as well, Lindor's Abbey having that history of being the first registered distillery in Scotland and and, and what have you, and so you're not, you're, and it's more, it's less about, oh, you're not getting the pitch from the brokers, which I've had yeah, yeah. buy this cask and <laughs> you, you bought know, them from the brokers, yeah, well, buy buy this buy this cask <laughs> and you know you're going to make a return of thirty percent per year, which is better than you'll get any bank and stuff like that. It's none of, nothing to do with that. It's about you're buying into the distillery. Yeah. Here's our and story. And history and provenance the, and, and, and everything. You, and, and the beauty of it is, is when you do it at that ground level, there's a, there's a thing that you can get where you say, like, I'm part of that. Like, I've, I, oh, yeah, that Glenn Wimis, I've got a casket. And to be perfectly honest, I must admit, when Lindor's Abbey started to release their bottlings and people started to get a bit excited about Lindor's Abbey, I, I was quite surprised. I was like, and, and I actually remembered, in fact, I was up visiting you up in Speyside in Aberlour. And I remember going into the Aberlour, the whiskey shop in Aberlour. And it was during the. Um, the Speyside whiskey shop? Yeah, the Speyside. Uh, yeah, we're still looking for sponsorship. Um, <laughs> the Speyside whiskey shop. But they, uh, they, it was during the Spirit of Speyside Festival this year, 2023. And. Uh, in the corner was one of the brand ambassadors from Lindor's Abbey who had been that week had been in there. Who was there. that? Do you I can't remember the name. And he was like, and there was two American people there and they were trying all the whiskeys and I was kind of like, and I was hanging around and I can hear the spiel that the guy was giving. I was going, <laughs> like that. And then the guy kind of said, oh, have you ever, ever tried Lindor's Abbey, sir? And I went, tried Lindor's Abbey, mate. <laughs> Got a bloody cask in this stuff. Yeah, it's cask. <laughs> yeah, and I felt, You're I felt, the worst guy in the world. And that's why Graham bought the cask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I felt but, a bit tip top. But, yeah. but the thing is, though, you know, it, that I have an emotional connection in tie now, not just through the family story, mm. but through being part of it. Yeah. You know, and, and I feel much more connected to that distillery more than most distilleries around the country. And I think that is a big thing that you can get. Yeah. And I think being able to be, and, and there's only so many distilleries that are giving people the opportunity yeah. to get in at that level. And that's an exciting thing. And mm-hmm. I think also on the other side, if there is somebody who maybe doesn't have the connection in terms of like, oh, I don't know anyone in Dingwall, I've never been to the place or blah, 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 blah. I think there's also a side of knowing that, well, if I put my money in and I'm part of this distillery, 
I'm helping the community at the same time. Exactly. But it's also that talking, it is the talking point. Like even there's investors from all over the world, right. Who have invested in the distillery and they still have that sense of pride. Like we've got guys in Texas, we've got, you know, people in Holland, they're like, "Ah." and they go, you walk around and you're like, I own some of this distillery. It's a part of Scotch whiskey, isn't yeah. it? As you said about your father drinking Scotch. Yeah. Uh, 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 there well, is a mystique in a kind of... That's uh, the premise of this yeah. podcast, isn't it? But anyway, but, well, well, well one, one thing I was going to say that's you know, really interesting I want to ask you about is you're, you're, you're a judge at the International Wine and Spirit Awards. Yes, I have been. You have been in the past. Yeah. So how, how long did you do that for? I started, I started with the IWC, mm. oh God... Probably ten years ago. You and know. you do whiskey as well as wine. I did whiskey. I've done gin. I've done I mean, wine, that, that, champagne. Yeah, we're, ta- we're, ta- mm. <laughs> we're ta- talking about big decisions, but equally, that, I mean, that that as a job, that just sounds incredible as an honor to I be know, asked to do. I know, but people say right? that like, like you well, have this, is, this job. This, yeah. It's an amazing job, and but like huge you do all this stuff. Right? But it's also like if you think about whether it's champagne, whether it's gin, or whether it's Speyside whiskey, which I have judged as well which is probably the most mm. pleasant of all, I have to say. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's hard. It's not easy. Yeah. I mean, no. it is. You're eight hours of, like... My heart does not bleed. Mm. Oh, no, <laughs> but, like, you're... Bring a tear to a glass eye. You're not drinking it. There's a reason you've chosen to live in Speyside. But, I mean, when you're doing a day of judging, how many... Different pieces of liquid are you putting in your mouth? I mean, oh is it? God, I honestly think like when we is did. Is it in the hundreds? When we did. It's <laughs> kind of weird way to put it. Hello. <laughs> when we did the gins, um, I mean, I think there were 700 gins. 700 gins. Oh, oh, that the, and, and, and so you tasted every one of those. I mean, it was like over a few days. Yeah. yeah. And like some of the flights were. Anywhere from like eight to sixteen, mm-hmm. and it, yeah. And and I mean, how, do, 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 is it just a case of narrowing it down and trying to get to, or, or I mean, are you going no, no, kind no. of? That's what, yeah. yeah. I mean, certainly on the gin side of things, it was like no, 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 no. Um, but with the space side whiskey, like the yeah. thing is, is that it's kind of the opposite. Whereas, like, this smells good, it tastes good. <laughs> This smells good. It tastes good, but yeah. there's not a whole lot of like, yeah. like how do you would, how yeah. do you stand out as a Speyside whiskey? I mean, they're phenomenally made whiskeys, yeah. but it's yeah. And what's quite hard for people to understand, people aren't massive whiskey drinkers, um, and you, there's obviously so much wine judging goes on that I'm sure you'll have taken part in previously as well, Megan. But you can smell and taste the wine, spit it out. The whole if you're judging whiskey, the finish is one third of what you're scoring a lot of yeah, the time. Exactly. So it's quite it is, I suppose that is quite difficult. This is like carry on podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, like think about tasting <laughs> even twenty five whiskeys. Yeah. Think about that. Think yeah. about yeah. tasting whiskey at a disadvantage. I mean it's yeah. not drinking even if it's them, tiny, you know. Sip, spit, sip, spit, and it's just yeah, it's hard. Right, well, Megan, I mean, the Scots have a, a, a reputation for being frugal and everything like that. I've been sitting here waving my empty glass at you <laughs> while sitting doing? there with these samples in front of us. So let's let's actually do And, and by the way, this will be, congratulations, this is the first sort of sampling and tasting on the, uh, on, yeah. on the Whiskey Stories podcast. So for what we're getting just now is the clear... The clear whiskey. The new make spirit. <laughs> new make spirit. It's not quite... 
Not quite whiskey yet, but <coughs> not yeah. quite whiskey yet. No, no, but this stuff. It, it will, could have been whiskey, but just be careful with that, Angus. Yeah, this stuff will will take. Uh, could you know? Haven't. Whoa, haven't, whoa, 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 whoa. That's Hunter's. Let's split that between me. Angus, split that between that. You make for the listeners. Angus just poured us a dram of presumably presumably sixty-three. I wish it was that. Sixty-three point five. So sixty-three point five percent is pretty much the standard. Um, kind of filling strength nowadays for for most people's new make spirit. So this is um, this is basically this is what we're what we're tasting here is completely clear liquid. So, yeah. so what's, liquid. what's your thoughts on, t- on tasting new make spirit? I've done it very briefly. I mean, yeah, I've, Graham, well, Graham's not briefly. I've done it a few <laughs> times. So I tried. I mean, you know, it was a, it was a real treat, obviously, yeah. because there was no whiskey. When I mentioned about the Hirak, when the Isle of Harris, there was no whiskey available. So yeah. for That's me, taste, that yeah. was a case of, wow, I've actually tried that. There's not many people that can say that. So, um, But was, I've been to other distilleries and, you know, sometimes you go on the tour and they give you, and it's like, well, here, they start with the new make and you think, oh, come on, yeah. you know, why are we bothering <laughs> yeah. with this? Yeah, but, um, I, I would. My advice was about to be: don't do whatever Graham's about to do. When you make it, approach it cautiously, people. Yeah. The first thing he done is give it a big whiff in his nose, immediately thrown back in his chair. Well, this is it. We, uh, we are not the professionals here. This is the hard no. thing. If you're not used to drinking new make spirit, you don't. You can't drink it like whiskey, which I think is what you've just done. <laughs> no, you can't. So, no. Um, like if you Sorry. have new make spirit that goes down the wrong hole, that is a great way to die. But yeah. it's it certainly the way it's going to happen. God. Megan, from your point of view, okay, we've probably been to quite a few distilleries between us, I suppose, and New yeah. Make Spirit is quite an interesting thing to judge. A lot of times people say, okay, it's still New Make Spirit, but for a new distillery, it can tell you a lot about the character. This is obviously an unpeated New Make Spirit. Is, this if, one is. Are there you, is peated. There peated is, out there, so yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah, so that's interesting. I, Ross peated. is going pro here. Yeah. Yeah. This no, is great. no, not at all. Carry on, carry on. This nearly killed himself, so I just thought I'd just... <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to jump in the car later. <laughs> Uh, for anyone listening I do not have to drop it again um, it's one of those things that that's interesting you've got peated spirit as well uh, being a mainland whiskey but what what do you take from the Glen Levis new make spirit you should, you should take us through it I suppose I love I think this is beautiful and I have like I said I I sent it to someone who's very much into the industry and I, I'm going to try and like quote him precisely he said this is the most, the, the fruitiest, cleanest new make I have ever had. Yeah, that's good, that. Unquote. And I've you know had, who you are out there. I've, <laughs> had, I've added a, not a significant amount of water to that, but enough to where make it manageable. it's very manageable now. No, no, can you even get, like, I'm, I'm sipping it straight, yeah, but you I, get I, a bit I, of pineapple and like you said, it's, it's, the, it's really complex for a new make yeah. spirit. I think it's beautiful. It's it amazing. Really is. Um, yeah, it's quite clean. It's, it, it's very sweet, clean, fruity. I mean, it's not something I've yeah. tried very often. I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I hope no one from. Well, uh, there's a reason you don't buy. You don't see you make it on the shelves, and it is because it is. It's quite an invasive. Um, oh God, thing, thing to drink, and this is not whiskey. This is. You know, this, think, is, this is what they're working with. Am I right in saying that yeah. New Make's got to be sold only in tiny little smaller bottles because of the quantity versus uh, the level of alcohol? But not it. many people, I mean, not there's lots people, of people yeah. who have tried to sell New Make. They don't it sell it at 63.5. Well, I'll be perfectly honest with you, right? Um, and, and again, going back to the Lindor's Abbey side of things, and maybe if they were going to sponsor me, us. They're not going to sponsor me after hearing this. They'll get a sponsor at one point. So they're not, they're not, they're not, but, but, but what happened was, as a Christmas present, my my dear mother 
decided that I'll buy Graham a wee, she'd gone to the Linders Abbey shop, basically, and I got a pen, a notepad, and a wee bottle a wee of, of um, new make because they didn't have a... That's uh, all they yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I was like, well, thanks. A, yeah. a bottle of whiskey would have been nice. <laughs> to be what was the, that was the ABV of I it? have no idea, but okay. I'll tell you a story, okay. right, was uh, at the time I was re-grouting my bathroom, uh, <laughs> taking the silicon sealant, sealant off the bar so and about to redo it and the thing is I was doing this off a YouTube video and the guy had said what you'll need is you'll need some sort of white spirit <laughs> and I suddenly went I don't have white spirit and then I suddenly remembered I have a bottle yes, of new now oh don't get me wrong God. before anyone from Windows Abbey goes mental I was just going to um, say I did pour a good glug of it into another bottle so that I had some so I've got Left some over. and I still have that that I don't think anybody on I was going to go mental. No, but what I did do is I used the remaining of that bottle to then fill over a, 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 a cloth and wipe down the yeah. bath before I put the silicon sealant back on the bath. As Megan said, it's not an advertised product. No. The reason Linders Abbey had it is because they didn't have whiskey to sell at the time. And yeah. they obviously ran a big thing with their aquavit yes. as well, where they cut it yeah. down and they made a kind of herbal style drink, uh, spirit drink, Scottish spirit drink for cocktails and such as well. Um, I think this is very pleasant, but obviously it's not whiskey and it is invasive and it is, again, as non... I'm not going to even call myself a professional, but if somebody doesn't work in whiskey, it's not an easy thing to drink. No, I mean, you know. it gives you an indication. I mean, no, how but, much, this, but this is the other thing. is but, You know, the argument I've always got, and this is where everybody will have, you know, you'll have so many different debates and conversations with people in the industry. I've said it before, I've said it plenty of times, warehouses make me happy. Oh, yes, but, we don't uh, want to hear about this. <laughs> but, but the point is... You know, for a lot of people, up to 80% of the flavour profile that you get from the whiskey comes from the wood that it sits in. Now, this, but this gives you an indication of the true line that runs through the flavour of the whiskey in terms of how it's stilled, distilled, what happens is it going up, how tall is the, the still yeah. box, etc. Yeah, so this is incredibly like. Um, if that's it's quite a thick, heavy texture, that would come from shorter stills, yeah, etc. Yeah. There's, there's a wee bowl you, like you can, you can, <clears throat> yeah, there is. But can you not like this? Is still, like when we talk about length, when we're doing the WSCT courses, like this just lives on in your yeah. mouth. Like this oh, is yeah. really with a bit of water. That's actually fairly palatable. I prefer the yeah. bread water. Honestly, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm totally agree with that. He's got the hairiest chest I've ever seen. Because yeah. I tell you what, that puts hairs on your chest. Yeah. No, I, I prefer it without yeah. the water. I, I thought it had add, really, yeah. yeah. I generally wouldn't add water to new experiments. No, no, you're no. kind of having it in that. No, I think you're absolutely really right. Really aggressive Ross. form for that reason. Sorry, lads. No, no, but even okay. at, but even at sixty three and a half percent, like I'm, mm. I can sip this without. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I can yeah. sip it as well. Yeah, we've drank, you've drank a lot more cash strength whiskey than these lads. I've obviously done a lot of things straight up the still as well. I'm pushing. I've got to push it. <laughs> you've, you've got a trained palate. I think for for uh, I would never know. This poor, is not Graham and Angus because because honestly cool the, the strength doesn't affect me much yeah. at all either. But that happened. I remember you know, talking about a, a previous employer as I tend to do um, when I was at SNWS. Oh, three months three that. months of doing their outturns. When you go back to a non cash strength whiskey, I it know. tasted like water. Yeah. Exactly. And, and so yeah. when you get trained on on stuff that's very high high. Alcohol, yeah, you, it's, it's a lot, it's much easier. Whereas if you're used to drinking what we've talked about, you we both, you both, well, also, we, we, we just need to get Graham in for a month. That is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, if anyone's listening, yeah, I'm happy to do that, right? Okay, so we've tried the, we've tried the stuff at the very beginning. Oh, yeah. 
Now you've got these other bottles there. So this is not these necessarily are, going These are intriguing. Now, you've been playing your cards very close to your chest this evening. Yeah. Are we going to find out, uh, is, there a, is there an age on these? Uh, do we know if they've been... The, the you're going to try it, and then you're going to tell me what you think. The yeah. unfortunate part is that if we had two glasses, it would be great to try them side by side. Oh, so they are separate. So they are, they are separate from different casks. Exciting. We'll, sh- we'll share. I'll take one, he'll take one. Okay, we can yeah, do them side that. by side. It's the best way to do it. No, it's not. Um, but these are not necessarily Glenwevis. I'm not telling you what they okay, are. So that, this only so has, on the bottle, it has 263. Right. Okay. Which is very. It's one of my favourite numbers, actually. Yep. <laughs> but to be fair, like the new mix spirit, this is not like something. I yeah, like taking this new mix spirit out to like people in the industry who. So you can see what, like, try it from the beginning, tr- see what it's like as it's evolved yeah. onwards and upwards. But that's, that, at the moment, that's like, you know, that's what you, that's all you've got, isn't it? You've only got so much that you can actually say, like, here's what we've started with, and this is what it does after it's been in X cask for X amount of yeah. time. And that's where you can see, and, and the thing is, like, if, if every sherry whiskey tasted the same, there wouldn't be so many of I them. Know. If every bourbon whiskey tasted, bourbon cast whiskey tasted the same. So you have to say that there is always going to be uh, th- that original spirit flavour that you're going to get is always going to have some sort of through line on it. And the great thing is one of our customers in Japan, he takes the um, new make so he can actually show people, mm. which I think is amazing, right? So anybody out there in Japan who wants to get some <laughs> Glen Wivis from Rudder, you can call Tsuyoshi. Konnichiwa. <laughs> this is um, the both, both cast strength. Both cast strength. Um, this one is a little bit stronger, I would assume. Um, just, I've not tried them yet. Stronger than the new make? No, no, oh, no, no. Than, the, than the first whiskey. I've not tried them yet, just from the... Oh, you've got the, sorry, you've got the two you over there, both. so I was yeah, getting... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah that's good, that. Um, yeah, the first one tastes to me. I'll, I'll, I'll embarrass myself. Mm. I'll put a big bold prediction. First, first one that I had was when you say first, which number is that? Uh, that was a lighter one. Okay, wasn't yeah. it, I guess, that you the two six three. Two six three tasted European oak or virgin oak. It was. it's, yeah, it's, it's like quite. Crap. It's quite meaty. I've not tried the yeah. other one yet, but it's it's quite meaty. It's quite heavy. It's quite thick. I would agree. It tastes like yeah, first fill European oak. Mm. Yeah, nose is quite festive. Um, as this well. is fascinating. Mm. Ross is in a completely different. That's, no. a, you, that's a big dram you poured over that's there, for buddy. That's the two of us to share. Okay. Uh, don't worry. Because he didn't, nearly killed him. So it's, it's, We're also in the townhouse. So yeah. It's quite expensive. This is, this, is a, this is a lot cheaper than the townhouse <laughs> prices, yes. Yeah. Thanks for the room. What do you, what do you, what do you two gentlemen think? You tasted them both? I think I haven't tasted the second one, but I'm going to. I'm gonna, I've only got one glass, nice, so I'm going to have to come that, to that. That second one's got a very, very, very nice aftertaste. Mm. That's very nice. You're trying this one first. Oh. No, which one are you No, I, I had the two six. Yeah, you, you, you're about one. to start. The, you're oh, about to try this. Is that one? Ah, so. Sorry, sorry, listeners, be a bit of confusion as to what's in this glass. Um, no, it's quite nice. The second one's very nutty. Mm. Yeah. Um, almost like... See, this is the one thing I would say is, I, from a whiskey point of view, is I've got no qualification or ability to be able to attribute flavors uh, to different things so so yeah. what but once but then what's really interesting is once somebody articulates it 
Yeah. It's a dangerous place to be because you could have said potentially it tastes like unicorns and all that. And I'm like, yeah. ah, yeah, 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 it does, I. But no, but again, Graham, this is why you need to do the WSET course. Right. Well, quickly yeah. before because we we are running out of time because right. we've got about 15 minutes left before we're horsed out of the townhouse in Edinburgh uh, for drinking. The, other drinks really? that yeah, time, already? Time, time flies God, when you're it's like the years go by time goes yeah, by it's like a TARDIS we started this podcast in 2004 here we are <laughs> here we are but, but explain because we haven't talked about that well that is another big part of what you do is a WSET is it WSET yes. yes yeah so what does that stand for so that is the Wine and Spirit Education Trust right so you work and you're accredited to deliver training courses yes. and programs on them so what does if someone's sitting there going what does that mean do I, do you need to be in the industry to do it or can you be nope. outside the industry no i've both? got people like i just i had a guy who contacted me and um you know who you are darren he said like he was a civil servant he's really interested in getting into other areas of the of the drinks industry and he wanted to do the course so anybody can do the course Right. And we've got various different levels. There is a wine qualif my APP, which is the approved program provider. We offer level one, two, three wines, level one, two, three um, spirits. They've also got a beer qualification and a sake qualification that I'm hoping to get on at some point in the near future. But yeah. it used to be wine and spirits together, and now you they can used do, to. Yeah. That's I mean, what would that, I mean, if if you if you if you are so, the layman, if, I, if yeah. it was me and you said, right, Graham, come on to my course, what would I get out of that? Well, Wine and Spirit Education Trust, this is why I'm sitting in front of you right now, to be honest. Like, it was that that catapulted me into the industry. So I started doing my, my wine qualifications way back in 2000 and something. And uh, it just, it, I did one after the other after the other. Like, I went up to diploma level in wines, and then I got into the spirits, became an APP when I was running the London Distillery. And it's just an amazing qualification, but it's also world known. Yeah, like yeah, it's, it's known it's all over the world. Recognized sort of. And a lot of people's will like people's. A lot of people will put into their like job descriptions that they want some sort of WSET qualification. Yeah. If you do, if you do level two, spirits, it, it'll give you this um, uh, wine. Wine's what everybody talks about. Like it's so and yeah. so well known for. Um, it will give you the confidence of being able to see a Chardonnay before you smell it or taste it. Right, right. And it's right. small things, and, and I think most of the Psalms, best Psalms in Edinburgh are level level three, which is an amazing... Yes. So a Psalm being a Somali. Yeah, so, yes. yeah, so Somali is level <laughs> Somali, three. Yeah. Level four, I know a couple of Somalis are level four, which is like a chemistry exam. Right. So it can get really intense, yeah. but level two and level... Level two, if you work in the industry, it just gives you more confidence, I think, because a yeah. lot of people do Oh, 100%. I know like, a lot of people that... I don't know if there's a good advertisement or not. Probably not, but I know a lot of people that will, will go straight to level two. Rather. No, level two. I mean, level one, I really only get people to do if they're like, you know, 16. Or yeah, and you and the They don't know yeah. anything about alcohol or they're not confident to yeah. go on. But level two is pretty much But you can do level two as somebody that's just interested in, yep. in wine and spirits um, yeah. and go into it. How long is the course? It's a couple of days? The or? spirits course is two days, two full days. And the wine course is three full days. And so. can you do that online? 
or in person or have you got both options yeah i'm doing i'm, I'm about to launch an online version um but i mainly like i travel places to do yeah. these courses so it's one of the the things that is quite interesting about my company because normally you have like the people who are based in london the people who are based so in edinburgh the yeah. big issue is that there's nobody up north who does these courses yeah. so it's just me and one other woman up and up she does the upper she does the aberdeen I'm like area, but she teaches the wine courses for me. And then I have a woman who I've been working for, for with, for, with, for about six years, her, she's based in Leeds and we, like I, we travel to Guernsey to do these courses. Yeah. So yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, we had people do like an open day in the Balmoral with WSETs and you had people from venues from all over Edinburgh. Yeah. We're like, oh my goodness, this is the chance to do the WSET. So you'll occasionally get it right. where you'll see it advertised, you know, coming to somewhere near you if you want to do your WSETs. Wow. Well worth doing right Megan on to the main event here the what three drams before I get too right. drunk on oh this oh my god uh, I forgot about that very high <laughs> percentage alcohol and uh, yeah what three drams it is a feature that we have on every single week of the podcast um, what we ask our guests is to come up with three drams any three drams or what three drams as long as they've got something a story or a meaning behind them okay but how much time do we have because well we've not got too long but right. carry on Okay, so my three, I'll say my three jams. No, no, one at a time. One at a time. Oh, one at a time. <laughs> well, I already, I already said the Lego villain, so Dad okay. and I. Yeah. No, but I need to tell you the story about, it'll be very well, that's quick. Well, it's a Whiskey Stories podcast, so we're open okay. for stories. <laughs> okay, so basically, again, my dad was a very proud, proud Scott, and we shared whiskey all the time, and again, he passed away in 2009, but... And he would absolutely boop himself if, it was, if he knew what I was doing right now. So... Sorry, I just lost, totally lost the train yeah. of thought. Lagavulin, <laughs> Lagavulin. That's right, so Dad was Lagavulin, and this is the one, like, it was probably the first drum that I ever had. Yeah. Um, as a young person, honestly cannot remember, like, when. So that was the drum that we shared. But the story I was trying to get to was the fact that I came up to Speyside, like, six years ago. Yeah. Right? And I was working at a distillery for a couple of years, and I went back to my hometown, which is La Chute, Quebec, in, in Canada. Mm -hmm. And my cousin Sandy gave me this like little portfolio thing with our like family tree. And on the front of it, it said Archibald Murdoch of Elgin wow. and Marianne Bain of Forest got married and went to northern Quebec. So I am here. And I looked at him and I literally said to me, I said, are you shitting me? Like, is this a joke? And he's so, like, no, this is, this is where our family's from. Like, yeah, do you yeah, know, yeah. like, do you know these places? I'm like, I literally live right next Ten door to these places. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You've ended up back. Literally in the heart wow. of where the family left from. That's incredible. So I know that the ancestors are calling me back. Right. So that was story one. Lovely. Well, mm. just, I mean, it's really interesting that, you know, you're the first dram. How many times Do have we, we had somebody on this podcast that says it's their dad, their granddad, their yeah, grandmother? Yeah. There is, it's such a, and the thing is, you know, we've had so many of the what three drams where people have been able to relate back, and it, it to just a person, it yeah. really is. I mean, yeah. it, it is, and and a lot of the time, you, you you know, it's there's so many different connections where, and I think that's because quite a lot of the influence that people have are, you, when you see your grandfather. I mean, it, it was Cody Reynolds was talking about how it's, it's, yeah, it was White and Mackay he picked because he said yeah. that it was, it was White and Mackay mm. because every time, I, even as a young boy, his granddad would say, 
yeah, a have a dram. Greg Greg Urquhart had a it was a Porsche was it a, uh, not, Port Charlotte Port Charlotte with his dad before he passed away. Yeah, we've yeah. had um, even Hazel uh, McLeod Hazy Drams was talking about uh, famous Krauss because she said like it was just the it was what always, was in the house it was yeah. in the house and it was also she, just her dad was always there. She also mentioned yeah. her dad's pours yeah. uh, island drams she called or island pours she called them sounded pretty Loving decent but half a, half, a, yeah. half a tumbler but it is fascinating that how many times on yeah. this on this episode on these podcasts that yeah. it harks whiskey back. means family it certainly mm. does okay dram number two dram number two right Glenn Morgy 10 year old okay no not even 10 year old to be fair like I can't even remember it was basically Glenn Morgy cast strength okay so I got sent by odd bins up to Speyside in, I think, 2006. And we went to Glenmorangie. And this is obviously in the old days when we, you could do these things. And Bill Lumsden was there at the time. And we got to empty our own cask. That's cool. And take so, a cask sample. So you had like an Odd Bins exclusive with Glenmorangie. They sent you up to the distillery. You got to try the cask sample with Dr. Bill Lumsden, who's yep. malt master. Dr. Player. Bill Lumsden. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Listen, he's one of he's one of the guys you want to know in whiskey for sure. Really? But that, the thing, that, the thing that, is, as, a, as somebody, that's, and yeah, that's your tail's a, your tail's wagging. Yeah. Like when you go, uh, there's nothing better. Than <laughs> no, going I have, up I to have the actually silly. a photograph of me, yeah. like hugging, the hugging the yeah. cask, yeah. because I got to empty it and take a cask. Like, I had never tasted cask. Yeah. strength yeah. whiskey before and wow. again like Glen Morangie you know great product probably appreciate it more now than yeah, I did yeah. one in the old yeah. days but I was like holy shit this is really Be, being, yeah, being in a warehouse drinking from the cash for the first time you're yeah. like yeah, that's a magic oh my god and, and whiskey does taste better in a warehouse oh yeah that's, that's why I like a well known fact that's a good one I am jealous of that experience that's a good one that's I know one. and that's you brilliant. don't you don't know like this is the, they, they would never do that now yeah. never do, you, do that do you now. still have the whiskey or? I don't know no, I drank it drank but I do it. have the picture of me hugging yeah, the cask yeah, yeah, yeah. and right. then the third one because there's a story here so I hope you, you gotta save some time for this plenty time but we it was Glenn Farkless, 10-year-old, right? Mm. So um, we drum. got to try this. And Glenn Farkless are my neighbors, right? So On one side of the Ben yeah. Rennes. Yeah. I, I just like go up there all the time. I'm constantly texting Callum and I got to go up and hang out with John and Callum and Douglas and like we had lunch and all of this kind of stuff. They're a huge favorite of mine. And I was working for Oddbins. I was actually working for, I was in Ascot. And this man came in and he said... My manager was a, a man, and um, this man came in. It was Nick and I standing behind the counter, and he's like, "Okay, I'm looking for a dram, you know, not too expensive. What can you recommend?" And I just piped up and I said, "Glenn Farkas, ten year old," because I had just been there and I was quite excited about it. And he literally blanked me, like he totally ignored me, and looked at Nick, who was your manager. He was a manager, and he's like, "What are like, what are you going to recommend?" And he was like, no, I, I would say lo, like rural Loch Nagar. And, and I was like, no, no, I, I, you should really try Glenn Farkless. And kind of like, and I wasn't even then like a wallflower. I was like, you know, pushing myself ahead. Mm. And anyways, again, completely blanked me. So I said, okay, wait here. 
How about this? I'm going to take a two glasses and I'm going to pour some of what Nick recommended and what I recommended. Aye. And I'm going to bring it back to you and you're going to tell me what you prefer. So we brought it back. He sipped them. What do you think he preferred? And, but then every time he came back into Oddbins, guess who he asked for a recommendation? Yeah. There's no, there's, there is no, like, first of all, three great drams that you've got there and three great sort of meanings and stories behind them. Mm. So that's fantastic. And one of yours was a Glen Farkless as well, wasn't it? So. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Glen Farkless 17. Yeah, but yeah. I think there's no better feeling when you are a whiskey drinker, a whiskey fan, and you've got somebody who maybe comes to you and says, and now the thing mm. is, Ross, you've done this professionally, so maybe I don't know if the feeling disappears slightly because you, it's what you did when you worked at Scotch and wherever all the other places you've worked. But <laughs> but uh, but there's no better feeling when someone says to you, like, oh, and maybe not a whiskey drinker particularly, but they want something to say, oh, give me an exa- give me something that you, you recommend. And you go maybe somewhere a little bit off the beaten track, not too far, but just, and you say, try that. And they go, that was really, really nice. I like that. And then yeah. you can turn around and say, well, I've actually got a cask of that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Listen, Megan, uh, we are about to get chucked out of the townhouse yeah. for drinking illicit whiskey um, and overrunning our time. But listen, can well, you, oh, oh, right. We've got to try and guess. We've got to guess, haven't we? We've got yeah. To, are they both Glen, Glen Wivis? I'm not telling you. They were both very tasty. I probably preferred the first one and suspect that you preferred the second oh, one. I actually like the second yeah. one. So what would you say age-wise? What is that? Oh, I have no idea. Because um, okay. it was European oak, so probably false. Like, it tasted old, but probably was not. Yeah, it'll be sitting okay. in um, is it, is it, it, Because they were very it, high in strength. You could see in the glass yeah, they're both they were very high in strength. So. One was like 61, 61. Yeah. Are, they, are, are, they, are they sitting in standard size casks so these are both oloroso right right casks yeah both actually sat in the exact same spot in the warehouse okay both glen Wivis and both five-year-old and both actually very impressive very very, nice. very different as well yeah super yeah. Different. i know oh, the second one's That's almost the like thing, a right? like yeah. but the first one is like different yeah. it's incredible i know it because blows you, my you, mind you would, you, would, you would swear that they were Different in some way. One, one was smoother, one was nuttier, <laughs> one was, yeah. you know. Really interesting. Um, yeah. And Research yeah. Has, is the hard part. Megan, you're the first person to ever come on this podcast that's brought in samples for us to try during the podcast, in case Colin's listening. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you so much for coming in. What a great story you've got. We never found out what brought you from Canada to Scotland. <laughs> but I think we, we kind of got there one way or the other. But thank you so much for coming on. It's been great hearing about your whiskey stories. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to working with Glenn Wivis as our main sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be working with Glenn Wivis, not as the main sponsor, but definitely on the whole yeah, other right. side of well, things. Well, thank you very much. Cheers. Come bye.